need to be, do a little bit of a survey, need to know, uh, see the hands of how many people are old enough to remember Christmas catalogs coming in the mail. Okay? Now, how many people are old enough not to remember Christmas catalogs coming in the mail? Okay, that's what I thought. Some place between uh, my being a kid and my having kids, they quit sending them. I don't know whose idea it was. It wasn't mine. I always liked them. Sears catalog, J.C. Penney. Then there's a store that doesn't exist any longer. Montgomery Wards. No longer out. Too many toys. That's what it was. I, I just loved getting the catalogs. Uh, uh, and depending on what age I was, and I won't tell you when, I remember looking at Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs, Tonka Trucks, Erector Sets, Monopoly Games, Baseball Gloves, Guitars and Stereos. Sound list sound familiar? Um, anybody look for things like that? What, what were the kinds of things you wished for? Something other than what I just said. A pony. They, they didn't have those in my catalogs. What are the kinds of things that you wished for? Atari? Yeah, okay, that shows how old you are, or how young I am. Yes? A doll baby. Cabbage Patch dolls, anybody want a Cabbage Patch doll that wanted to, wants to admit it? Yeah, yeah thank you very much. <laughs> BB gun, that's right. Remote control cars. Yeah, Millennium Falcon, right, yes, yes, yes. See, you're revealing your ages, because wherever you were when you were a kid, those were the toys you wanted. Well, I'd, I'd do like you did. I'd take those catalogs, and I'd circle the things that I wanted, and then I'd go back once my brother and my sisters were through with their turn in the catalogs and write them on a Christmas list, and, well, sometimes I got what I wanted. Um, I need you to work with me here now for a minute. Now, imagine, imagine Jesus got one of those Christmas catalogs in the mail. I said, "Work with me, okay?" I know, I know, where this is a stretch. I know he didn't, ha I know he didn't celebrate Christmas. I know they didn't have mail. You know, he got a scroll, okay? He got a Christmas scroll in the mail. I imagine seeing him read through those items and look over those trinkets and and taking a piece of parchment and and writing his list out. Um, let me suggest that, that his list was a pretty short one. Um, he asked for one thing. What do you think he wished for? And I know English teachers, that preposition is not supposed to be there. I just don't know how else to say that. What do you think he wished for? What would, what would Jesus wish? Well, he'd wish for fire. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 49. Text for the evening. Luke 12:49. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, 
three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. It's certainly not the kind of wish that you'd normally expect to hear at Christmas time. Certainly, certainly not the kind of verse that you'd expect to get in a Christmas card. Uh, the kinds of cards that we think Jesus would send would probably have a wish that sounds something like this. If, if I could have a Christmas wish, yes, if such things could be, there are some things that I'd wish for that are just for you from me. I know I'd wish when you wake up the Christmas day to start, you'd find yourself smiling from the peace within your heart. And I wish, and I would wish your mind at peace and you would think about next year and freedom from all worries and freedom from all fear. And I would wish you joyfulness and, str- and strength to reach your goal and deep abiding peacefulness and wellness in your soul. And I know I may not get my wish, but if I could, it's true. A deep abiding heartfelt peace is my Christmas wish for you. The kind of thing we think we get in a Christmas card from Jesus, but no, he says, he says, he says that he came to set the earth on fire and can't wait to get it started. He says he has a baptism, baptism that he has to be baptized in, and it constrains him until he realizes it. And he said that families would be torn apart because of him and his message. Well, so much for peace on earth, goodwill toward men, huh? What did he mean? What was he trying to say? Why, why would he have this wish for fire? You need to understand the context a little bit, and so I want to point you to a verse at the end of chapter 11, because it helps describe the kind of situation that Jesus was speaking to. When Jesus left there, it says, 11.53, When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, and Jesus began to speak first to his disciples and so on. So the congregation that he's preaching to is a collection of folks who want to follow him, of some folks who aren't sure about following him, and some who are just waiting for him to mess up. Just waiting for him to do something wrong so that they can mount a a better case concerning their opposition against him. So here's kind of the flow of the the passage in chapter 12. Let me just give you the, the highlights. Jesus says to those who are listening, Be true to God in spite of opposition. He says, be rich toward God and avoid greed. He says, treasure God above all else. He says, live like the Son of Man is going to be coming tomorrow, today. Then verse 49 about fire, and verse 50 about the baptism, and then verses 51 through 53 where he says he's going to be a divider, not a uniter, unlike some politician I know. Then he says, read the signs, choose me, repent, choose me. Remember the, the fig tree parable, choose me. I came to set the world on fire, choose me. So it's obvious in the middle of this passage, at the peak of what this long teaching session, Jesus understands 
that there are folks who are for him and folks who are against him. Still doesn't help us understand what he means by the word fire. Problem is that he doesn't really explain himself. He may have thought that the people who heard him that day knew full well what he meant and so he didn't have to go any further with it. It could be that he left it general enough for all of them to consider his message a little more closely. Because he doesn't explain himself, let me offer a variety of opinions that have have been uh, developed about this teaching. Some people think that this fire word that Jesus uses is a symbol of God's holiness. Some of them think that it's a symbol of the faith that he wants to have and he wants them to have in him. Maybe it's the dissension that is going to split that, that group of people even further and further apart. It might be purification. Could be judgment. Could be he just wants to remind him that the fire is a source of warmth and, and light. Could be a sign of the last days. It could be a fulfillment of John's prophecy about him. Remember he said in Luke 3, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire? Maybe Jesus is just reminding them of what John had told them a long time ago. Maybe it has to do with the salvation that he was going to bring through his baptism. Certainly, certainly, it is a symbol of the presence of God. However he makes his way. Whatever, however he's, he applies it. It is certainly that. Whatever the fire is, it is of God. And whatever the fire is, it will be the undoing of those who reject Christ and it will be the refining of those who believe in Him. Say it one more time. It will be the undoing of those who reject Christ and it will be the refining of those who believe in Him. Jesus' proclamation, his wish for fire, forced everyone who heard him that day to examine the implications of all their commitments. The fire that Jesus desired forced everyone to reconsider their values, think about their priorities, consider their goals, think about their behavior. It forced them whether, to consider whether or not their old life patterns were still acceptable. It made them think about their significant relationships and what difference the fire would make with them. Nothing, nothing escapes Jesus' fire. Nothing escapes its effect. One writer puts it this way, it consumes the combustible and it purifies the imperishable. Nothing escapes its effect. Jesus said, I came to cast fire upon the earth. And he did. And he did. Amen? Just making sure you're tracking with me. He did. Fire's already been set. And it has been spreading ever since. It has spread unlike any other movement. It has spread like any other religion. Unlike any other religion, it has spread and it touches folks all around the globe. However, I, I have a hunch that if we were to ask Jesus what he would wish for today, I think he'd wish for fire. I think he'd wish for fire. I think he'd wish for more fire. 
I, I think he'd wish that the fire that he started through his death and resurrection was burning brighter and hotter than it is today. I think that he'd wish that the fire that he started through his death and resurrection was reaching farther and wider and deeper and broader than it, than it does today. I, I think that he'd wish that we'd help him spread the fire that he... No, I, I take that back. He, he wouldn't wish we'd help. He, he expects us to help. He expects, he expects us to fuel the fire, to feed it, to fan it into flame so that it blazes white hot and waits for us to. Many of you are familiar with Elton Trueblood's book, The Incendiary Fellowship. I know most of you are because you had to read a chapter for it of it in my, in my class, Introduction to Ministry. In his book, Trueblood challenges the Christians and he challenges the church to fan the flames of Christ. True Blood says, the only way to be loyal to the fire of Christ is to spread it. And I'd add, the only way to spread the fire is to be consumed by it. True Blood goes on to say, evangelism occurs when people are so enkindled by contact with the central fire of Christ that they in turn set others on fire. And the only adequate evidence that anything is on fire is the pragmatic evidence that other fires are started by it. I wish I had thought of that, but it's exactly right. Let me read that verse again. The only adequate evidence that anything is on fire is the pragmatic evidence that other fires are started by it. Fire that does not spread must eventually goes out, must, must eventually go out. And then he quotes Emil Bruner. It's a phrase I heard first in Dr. Gailey's missiology class. The church exists by mission as fire exists by burning. The only way to be loyal to the fire of Christ is to spread it. And the only way to spread it is to be consumed by it. And I got to this point in working this message through and, and it reminded me this point brought me back to what Jesus' original hearers must have heard. When Jesus said these words it only left them with a couple of options. One of them was they could defend the level of their fire. They could explain why the glow of their relationship with God wasn't what it could be. They could explain how the challenges of life had dampened their flames. They could explain how difficult it is to burn for God like He wanted them to. Or, or, they could simply say that the fire of God in them was not what it could be, not what it should be, and then offer themselves to the Christ so that He could do what needed to be done so the fire would consume them. And the same holds true for us. See, we can defend the level of our fire. We can explain why the glow of our relationship with Christ isn't what it could be. We can explain how the challenges of life have dampened our flames. We can explain how difficult it is to burn for Him like He wants us to. Or, 
or we can say simply that Christ's fire in us is not what it could be. It's not what it should be. And that he's free to do in us whatever it takes for his fire to consume us. One of two choices. I heard a Wesley hymn for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. Actually, Ravi Zacharias said it has been one of his life, life hymns uh, all of his Christian life. And it says exactly what I think we need to say if the fire that Jesus ignited 2,000 years ago is to blaze brightly today. So the words are going to be on the, on the screen behind me. I want us to read through it uh, a verse at a time, and then we're going to sing it. Because I want it to be our prayer. So that the fire that Jesus came to set that day could burn, could burn as brightly as he wants it to. So read the words with me, would you? O thou who camest from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle the flame of sacred love upon the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze, and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. Jesus, confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for Thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up Thy gift in me. Ready for all Thy perfect will, my acts of faith and love repeat till death Thy endless mercy seal and make my sacrifice complete. Stand and let's sing. Thank you. 